in Toronto in the past, you would never dream of selling your property before you had bought something because you'd lose your house and you'd be out of the market. We're now in a totally different scenario than that. And I'm still cautioning people to be very, very careful. Yes, we're seeing this return in some marketplaces, in some property types. And I don't think that prices are going to get away from us. Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds. I hope they start as soon as you start the talk, the intro, Tom. I hope they just start drilling in the background. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's real life. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Tom Story Show. We thank you for being here. If you are watching us on YouTube and you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. Join our growing community. We are well past 1,500 subscribers now, which me and Steve uh, very much appreciate and that you show up here every single Sunday and watch us talk about what's going on. And uh, if you're watching this video, make sure to throw us a like as well. If you're listening on the audio platforms, just want to say, hope you're having a great day wherever you are listening. Steve, some people have told me they listen in their car. I've had one person tell me they listen when they go for runs. I've had another person tell me that they that they listen when they take their dog for a walk. So I, I'm but, learning all these ways in which people are listening. But not a walk, walking their dog in their car, as we no. learned. That that apparently is not possible. Um, uh, yeah, and, and the show continues to grow. So thank you, uh, everyone that, that kind of consumes our content. We really appreciate it. On to today's guest, who is also someone who I hear maybe actually listens to a few episodes of the show, which is awesome. Uh, Marianne Miles has joined us. Uh, Marianne works for Chestnut Park Real Estate, which is associated with Christie's International Real Estate. To my disappointment, when I first got into the industry, no, it's not the cookie company. It, in fact, is a luxury real estate worldwide company, different Christie's. Um, Marianne's been, I think, over 15 years in the industry. You've you've really built an amazing business. You know your stuff. We're really excited to have you here. So welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me here. It's uh, I literally have been listening to you since day one. Um, I didn't even know it was on YouTube for the longest time. And when you invited me to be on, I had to go and actually watch it to say, okay, someone's going to see what I look like on here and I have to figure out what I need to look like. Um, so I, I actually listen to the podcast usually on Sundays, every Sunday morning, I'm either driving or walking on the boardwalk because I live on the beaches. So, yeah. And I'm a new resident in your neighborhood, so I'm sure we'll bump into each other sooner or later. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So I want to give everyone a heads up that I have come to a new location today to record, which I thought would be my quiet space and drilling has just started. <laughs> so I'm going to mute myself while I can, but we're going to power through this thing. And uh, otherwise, so your home YouTube studio is being constructed. So for a quiet space, you went to the office, which is being constructed. But I didn't think it was being constructed today. I thought the construction was done. Um, so you when you don't edit, this is real life, right? Yeah, it is what it is. So Marianne, to give people a bit of a background about you. So I mentioned before, you know, 15 years in the industry, you built an amazing business and have a great reputation in this industry. Kind of give us kind of like, why did you get into real estate? Have you always lived in Toronto? What does your business model look like? And then I think we'll go into what we're seeing in the market right now. Sure. Um, I have been in real estate for, it's over 15 years now, which is pretty crazy. Time flies, I think, when you're having fun. Um, and I've been a broker for 15 years um, here in Toronto. I was born and raised in Midtown Toronto and absolutely love this city. Um, I have lived in the East End for the last 10 years. 
Um, I saw it sort of bopped around from Midtown down into the east. Um, we used to strap our bikes to the back of our car and put our dogs in the car to come down to the boardwalk and then realized it's not that much farther to just move to the beach. So we've been here. Um, I work one-on-one -on -one with my clients, um, sort of unlike yourselves, I'm a single agent who works. I've got a full-time assistant and, um, and work one-on-one -on -one with my clients. And then I have a team of people who I've sort of curated over the year to help me prepare for listings. Now, was that a conscious decision you made where you wanted to be involved in every step of, of kind of running this business? Because we know there's a lot of burnout that's involved if you're doing everything. Did you grow a team and then go back to yourself? Did you, or you've always just been, this is the way that you want to do it? No, nope, this is just the way that I do it. I think I've sort of run on intuition. Um, <clears throat> and for me, it's just been really important to work one-on-one -on -one with my clients and be able to be there sort of at every step of the way and really in all of the communication and the negotiations throughout the process. Um, it was probably about five years ago that I took on a assistant and that's when the sky sort of opened for me. And I realized you don't have to be loading photos onto MLS or into feature sheets at two o'clock in the morning on your kitchen island. And, uh, and all of that can be happening at the same time as working. So that was a game changer for me. Um, but I, I don't really have any sort of wishes or desires to, to run a team. Um, for me, I only take on a certain number of clients throughout the year. Uh, so it's not about getting the most number of buyers and sellers or transactions throughout the year. It's about servicing the people that I work with. I think that's awesome. You also mentioned something in the area that you live. You said you lived in the beach. Can we get to the bottom of this? Is it the beaches? Is it the beach? Is there uh, Facebook fights about this? Like for, for Steve fights. that doesn't know, this is the area east of the city where the waterfront is and the boardwalk. And, uh, you know, been, been around for a long time. It's, it's a great area to live in. Um, but people call it two different things. And wasn't there like an official thing a few years ago where we like actually named it? I think there was an official thing back in the nineties. I remember being sort of like in the back of the car as a kid and listening to it on the radio. Um, we were the beaches. We now are the beach. Um, oftentimes you can tell how long someone has lived here for, depending on how they respond to your question. I think I go back and forth between the two. I don't know what I said earlier, but I call it the beaches. Typically someone saying the beaches if they've been here for years and the beach if they're new to the neighborhood. So when I, uh, when I moved in, one of my friend that lives in the area, we went over, uh, to their place and, uh, he gave me the beaches sweatshirt and I was like, oh, I've joined the cult. I, this is just, I'm a part of this now. I, I was trying to just sneak in here, but now I have a sweatshirt that says the beach. You need the it. toque, you need the sticker on the back of your car, you need the whole nine yards. <laughs> um, okay, so now you live in this area of the city, but you know you probably service other areas as well. Where, where is your business based? Like where yes. are you doing most of your transactions? My brokerage is Midtown Toronto. Um, I service sort of the central core and across the downtown. Um, and I end up doing a lot of business in the neighborhoods that I work. So I do probably over 60% of my businesses in the East end of the city. Tommy, you're muted again, man. He's trying to get in and out of here. This is going to be so terrible. I heard, I heard a little, a little buzz in the background of maybe drilling starting. So I muted myself and, oh. and forgot to unmute. Forgot. <laughs> yeah. Steve mutes himself like always where I, I just leave my mic on. So Tom, I'm yeah. going to teach you how to use zoom. It's this new 
program we're using. Well, we're not on Zoom, but oh, go okay. for it. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to get into the market. Um, on previous podcasts and recent videos on both me and Steve's YouTube channel, we've talked about how like we've seen an uptick. Things are changing here. Now, one thing that I want to clarify is that in Steve's market, properties are getting multiple offers, but still sometimes selling under the asking price. In our market? Not the case. That's not happening. They're still selling way over. So can you kind of explain to us what you've seen kind of on the ground level with clients? Yeah, I think sort of the last month has been an interesting one. Um, four weeks ago, particularly in the east end of the city, you could purchase a home uh, conditional on the sale of your property. And the east end of the city is, uh, for those of you who don't know, is and has always sort of been one of the hottest markets in the city um, in good times and in bad. So it's been interesting that we've gone from this very drastic shift in such a short period of time where four weeks ago, you could put that condition in and, and negotiate with the seller. And now we're in a market where things are going in multiple offers. Um, I'm sure, Tom, you're sort of tracking the same properties that I am. Uh, there's been a couple of major, major sales over the last week where there's been north of 20 offers on one of the properties sold for 141% of their asking price. Um, another big detached house in Riverdale that went with nine offers that needed to be gutted back to the studs. So we're sort of seeing it across all different property types. Um, it's a huge, huge shift in, in a very short period of time. I feel like it came out of nowhere because like imagine in a month going from a market that you can get a condition for the sale of your own property, which like I've been doing this nine years. I've had that in two offers ever. Like I've never really been able to get that in. Switching back to like, wait a sec, what the hell happened? This feels like last, like early last year. It's crazy. I've seen, we track the number of showings that are on our listings, um, as well as the number of offers on our listings. And then obviously the number of sales, which we'll see come out in the next couple of days as they're reported by Treb. Um, but I'd say we've seen this happen since the Bank of Canada announcement uh, on January 25th, um, but certainly has ramped up in the last couple of weeks. So it seems that consumer sentiment has changed um, people who have been sitting on the sidelines for the last eight to nine months are stepping back into the market and feel that it's go time. And Steve, have you, is that started to trickle to where you are or is it still lots of offers, but not I, selling? I want to know, uh, maybe you guys can answer this for me. What is a listing and how do I get one right now? <laughs> <laughs> like that's, it is, it is tough. I, I actually should probably look right now, but like we're trending only like 200 more listings now than the first of the year. Right. And that's not a good time. And now we're in to like March going, wait, inventory should have started coming on. We should be a thousand higher right now. Why aren't we seeing anything? And I think that's what's driving a lot of this. It's just, and we're getting roasted in our comments, my channel, the podcast, everything just about you realtors need to talk, stop talking about the shortage of inventory. But, but there is a huge shortage of inventory. That's what the problem is. And quite frankly, I think you have eight or nine months of demand of buyers who have been sitting on the sidelines married with a shortage of inventory that is bringing the number of offers to the table and, and driving up the price. Like we've seen consecutive price growth for the last eight weeks across the city. Um, but in Toronto, it's interesting too. You need to look at sort of different neighborhoods and I'm sure it's the same. Uh, yeah, 100%. You, right. It's uh, it's this emergence of micro markets and I've been doing this for 15 years and hadn't heard the word micro markets until 
just about over a year ago, perhaps. So you have different neighborhoods that are all performing on different platforms across the city. Um, you know, if you look at months of inventory, we uh, were operating at around two months of inventory. If you look at different neighborhoods in the East End, specifically, Leslieville was operating at 1.2 months of inventory. The Beaches was 1.3. There are neighborhoods in the city that are operating still at five months of inventory. So it's very market specific and housing type specific within those markets. And it's not only that, it's like when you're working now with a buyer and you say, okay, there's no inventory out there. My buyer is looking for this. And I we're going through this with uh, at least two, if not three clients right now this week. That You know, like, I don't know if you guys are still going through this, but like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is when the new listings come on and then nothing comes on Thursday through Sunday. And then it's like, okay, nothing new came up in their search criteria this week. So sure, there's 3,000 houses on the market. But for my active buyers, of which I'm sure I'm not the only one with this same style, there is zero available listings that fit the criteria needed for them to purchase a home. So that is what I mean by no inventory or, or lack of inventory. Sure, in, in my market, we should, we're at about 3,800 listings. Ideally, we would be at 6,500 listings. 6,500 listings is, hey, let's go grab a coffee and go see four houses today and then think about it overnight. And then let's see what you want to buy. But we're still at 3,800 listings, which is, oh, one came on this week. Let's go see if you want to compete on it. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. And I think here what we're seeing too is properties that have been listed for months in, in many cases are seeing offers and in some cases seeing multiple offers, right? Now, it it should be noted that just because we're in multiple offers doesn't mean necessarily that it is selling over asking. In some of these more entry points into the neighborhoods, you have listing agents that are underpricing their listings artificially for a multiple offer situation. Um, which is very different than an extended irrevocable situation um, or, you know, even some of these properties that are in the higher end, sort of north of $5 million that are seeing multiple offers um, that aren't necessarily selling over ask. How far underpricing are you guys seeing? Because in my market right now, like the detached, let's say we're still one, three, one, four for an average detached home. And we're starting to see a lot of listings hit the market at nine ninety nine. Wow. Are you guys yeah. seeing like that far under? And sorry, what would that house be worth approximately? One three to one four. Uh, yeah, so I 40% over ask, I have a really hard time with, I think even if you look back in sort of the peak of the market, I don't know that I would have ever priced something, assuming that we were targeting for 140% of ask. Um, it's one of the ways that you sort of triangulate in your pricing strategy is looking at that percentage over asking. Um, there have been, as I said, that one earlier this week that went for 141% of ask, um, that's a bit insane. Um, I think it's, I, I With, really do. That's without not saying what that property was. Pardon? Without saying what that property was, let's, okay, it went for 141 over ask. In your opinion, what was it worth? Was it worth 120 over ask? Was it worth 130 or was it always worth 141 over ask? I think we're seeing price increase, right? So, a month ago, I think it probably would have fetched a lower number than it fetched this week. 
Um, Was it worth more back last February? Probably. Um, I don't know that the person really, really underpriced it in an underpricing multiple offer situation. I think they priced it expecting multiples. It's also worth noting that that is the most coveted type of property right now in the east end of the city is a semi-detached property with parking in an awesome family neighborhood. And there are a lot of buyers out there looking for that. Uh, So it doesn't surprise me at all that that's what they saw. I feel like we should clarify too, because I used to always, you know, a lot of my business is right now we help them sell their condos and then they buy houses, right? Like we're helping a ton of people upsize, right? Or we help them get into the condos. But a lot of the condos where I sell condos and buy houses, it's kind of been my business model the last three years. Every single condo seller is like, I'm like, where do you want to go next? They're like, well, we like Riverdale. I'm like, cool, get in line. (laughs) Like get get in line with the 4,000 other people where that East end market, right. For the like stats nerds, right. The EO one, EO two, EO three, which is like Riverdale, Danforth, Leslieville, the beaches. Uh, I think East York's pushing into EO four, but even when the market, like those pockets of the market have been the hottest segments in terms of lowest amount of inventory forever that I've looked at the numbers. And even when the market cooled down, it's like those markets went from insanity to just a seller's market where other markets went from a seller's market to a more balanced out approach. Like it seems like the good inventory in those markets never really stopped selling even through the rate hikes. It didn't. And there are multiple markets across the city that you can look at sort of in the central core and particularly the East end, obviously, but that we're all doing the same thing where the prices didn't come down the way that we saw in other neighborhoods and there was still activity and still the demand to move into these fantastic spots. Uh, on last week's episode, me and Steve were saying, like, what are the terms everyone's saying now? If you have a pessimistic view about the market, and we talked about dead cat bounce, the you know, is the cat just bouncing up? The one we missed, Steve, which got commented, which I think is a lazy comment, by the way, be more original, was bull trap. We missed bull trap. Bull trap. Yeah. That's that's the one that we missed. We did miss bull trap. For yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So you guys, so you guys have the same phenomenon we do. So I'm getting a lot of people moving to BC. And then they phone me, and first of all, I'm in Surrey. So that's like, hey, I'm in Brampton, or hey, I'm in Oshawa. Like, these are not prime, prime spots. So what I get, though, is the phone call of like, hey, I would like to live in, and then they fill in the name of a neighborhood that nobody really actually moves to. Usually because one, it's very small, two, it's very expensive, whatever. It's not it's not what they think it is. So we get like, Tawasin, it's a beach community, great little spot. Nobody can actually buy there for the most part. Uh, Port Moody's another one. Fort Langley's another one. I should do a video on this. But it's like those people, they, they've put it in their mind where they think they're going to move to. And then when you cross-reference that with supply and affordability, they don't mm-hmm. end up there. Right. And is do you that guys have that? Do you think that that's, people are searching in Google, thinking that's where they want to go, or they actually think they want to go there? They think they want to go there. Like from what you guys have just told me when I moved to Toronto, I'm moving to the beach, right? Like that's what I think now. And then you're like, yeah, cute. That's the fun story, Steve. Like that's probably not actually going to happen for you, whether or not it be in your price range or availability or whatever. So it's just funny that the stories that buyers tell themselves about the future place they're going to buy. And then we, when we actually get like boots on the ground, it's like, nah, maybe... This like for instance, I'll give you a prime example. 
I don't know that my lifestyle would fit the type of home that I've seen Tom live in because he's like city lifestyle. And I'm like 4,000 square foot, like, you know, we're home a lot. Kids are home, need separate space, all that stuff. So it's just, it's such a learning curve when people come from a distance and they have this notion in their head. One of the things we have here in BC is so many ex-grow ops. In 2004, man, every second, third house was like a somebody was growing in the basement. And now when those houses come up, it still needs to be disclosed. So people will be like, oh, this one looks really well-priced. And I'm like, that one's well-priced because it needs to be an all-cash buy, right? So people tell themselves something in their head of what they think they're going to get. I guess that's regular real estate. And it's funny, I've had three phone calls this week um, of people from BC moving to Toronto and wanting to move into the beach. So the beach is a very, or the beaches is a very typical neighborhood um, for people from the West Coast to move to because of the sort of outdoors and the, and the lake and everything. Um, but in speaking with someone yesterday on the phone, I said, you know, this is a typical type of house in this price range. And I think this sounds as if it's working, would work for you. Um, and I'll send you some examples of what has sold over the last four months to give you a sense of what you can buy. And I said, you know, if you're coming from 2,600 square feet, this might be a little bit of a shock. And he said, well, what happens when I'm coming from like 4,300 square feet? And I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be an interesting, uh, interesting exercise. But I'm also finding, and I don't know if you're finding this, Tom, um, I've got a few condo clients recently who have called and said, okay, we want to list our condo. We want to move into a house. We'd like to, to look in the city of Toronto, but also look out in Burlington or Oakville at the same time. So sort of doing these concurrent searches, I'd say, um, because they're realizing that what they're looking for in Toronto may not exist within their budget. We have that actually like a lot like where we have agents we'll refer to in those markets, but we'll give them a heads up as like, I don't know if they're going to buy here or they're going to go out there, but you might have to show them a few places. Well, and that's exactly what I'm doing is just referring them out. Right. Yeah. So, and what yeah. Steve said too, is like when people, you know, I joked about everyone says they want to live in like Lessieville or Riverdale. That's when they start because they've been used to downtown lifestyle. They still want close to downtown, but they want to go East or West. And it's like, okay, well, if you want that, even if you have the budget for that, you're going to be in competition likely for the good houses. If you don't want to be in competition or want to go to a lower budget, we can go from a three bedroom to a two bedroom, but then this becomes maybe a three and a half year, five year house instead of like the, the house you thought you were buying. Or if you want what you want at a lower price point, let's talk about Danforth. This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the YouTube for Real Estate video course. Are you interested in creating an engaging, value-driven YouTube channel to help educate your client base on real estate in your market, as well as introduce a new revenue stream to your business? Perhaps you've already created a YouTube channel, but are struggling to gain viewership and the subscribers you are looking for. The YouTube for Real Estate course will provide you with proven tips and strategies on how to create and cultivate an engaging YouTube channel, as well as how to optimize your channel, resulting in higher viewership, subscribers, and yes, deals. But that's not it. I implemented YouTube in my business in early 2021, and it has easily been the best marketing source 
for meeting new clients that I have ever had in my business, period. Better than expensive geofarming, internet marketing, and open houses combined. And now it even rivals my repeat and referral business. If you would like to learn all the tips and tricks for meeting new clients using YouTube, simply go to video course login or click the link in the description below and sign up for the YouTube for real estate course today and learn a year's worth of my painstaking research of learning how to use YouTube for real estate in just a few hours by taking the YouTube for real estate course. So go to videocourselogin.com right now and use the promo code TOMSHOW at checkout. Again, that's videocourselogin.com or simply use the link below. So it's like slowly kind of shifting. And it's funny from where the conversation starts to then where they end up actually buying and getting what they want, not just what they can afford, but like the actual house they want to live in. Sometimes they're surprised at how limited options there are. And and in these pockets, these good pockets, because a lot of the ups and downs we've seen in the Canadian real estate pricing and even the, the GTA in greater Vancouver area, you know, when you're adding in the suburbs that saw wild increases the last year, those are, those are coming out in the data. And the February numbers uh, that are going to come out when this podcast is out, I don't know what they're going to say, but they're going to look terrible year over year. Like it's going to be real, real yeah. scary headlines, right? It's going to be scary, but it's funny because it's scary year over year. And then month over month is a totally different story, right? It's encouraging. It, it might is. be down 45% year over year in my market and up 10% month over month. Right. Well, I think that's basically what we're looking at too, right? Like so. it, it's insanity. I don't know. Like I'm, I was wishing uh, when recording this that our stats were out so we could go over them because I was I'm fresh morning hoping that they'd be out by now. Yeah. Ours are probably going to come. Yeah. 20 minutes. Ours after aren't officially this. out, but I have some kind of in, inside yeah. info on it and yeah, sales volume is going to be, well, year over year, I don't know, but just month over month. The average does Treb, does Treb contact you, Tom, to see how you want the stats to read <laughs> this month? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I oh, wait, just wait, wait, wait. Wait, I saw stuff. that. I saw a comment on your channel that says you were cherry picking stats. And then somebody else was like, he literally just read the stats. The only so stats that exist. <laughs> yeah. I picked the ones yeah. that existed because they happened. I didn't. And go back to my old videos when I cherry picked the crappy stats that made things look bad. Like when I'll tell you the good and the bad of it. So Marianne, do we think this continues? So are we going to have a regular spring market? are listing are you working are you bringing inventory to the market are things coming do we have hope here for buyers i have i have things coming to market um i'm sure in talking with other agents like all i do all day long oftentimes is speaking is talking and speaking with other agents to see what they have coming to market as well um there is inventory i think coming to market it's not as much as we need or as much as we uh, would traditionally see in a spring market our spring market usually starts sort of halfway through february and and i don't see when these properties are going to hit the market um it's funny the dead cat bounce like i was talking about that yesterday and we actually had to put down a family cat yesterday so it was sort of a, a bad sorry. Uh, bad use of that term at that time but um but it will be interesting to see. I'm I'm very cautious in using the term that the market has rebounded and that we're on the way back up. I do think that there has been a large number of buyers sitting on the sideline and this is pent up demand and they're now coming to the market and we don't have a lot of inventory. So that's what's driving what we're seeing right now, I believe. 
Um, I don't think we're returning to where we were, certainly sort of in February, March of this year. I think it's going to take years to get there. And, um, and I think there's still a lot to be said about where interest rates could go and what's going to happen with the Fed and the states. And, uh, and I think it's, it's too, soon, too soon to tell. And I think too, like, you know, me and you work, you know, in the same kind of the different pockets of the city, but the same market where when we are saying things, we are talking about the city of Toronto. And that's even different from when, when our real estate board releases their stats, most of those sales didn't happen in the 416 area code. When you actually break them down, like most were 905. So yeah, most them are 905 and it really, it's really frustrating. And I don't know, Steve, if your stats are reported the same way, but you can't put Brampton and what's happening in their market right now in the same sort of category as what's happening in some of these really hot family coveted neighborhoods throughout the city that are seeing the action that they're seeing right now. There goes the power drill. Thanks, Tom. Sorry, yeah. guys. Yeah. That's literally the market crashing behind Tom. They're trying to prop it back up as we speak. We have little bells when the market picks up or cools down. So we're all aware of what's going on. We just ring the bell. Yeah. Did you know, Tom, actually, this is interesting because we have something here. We have like a, this Stat Center website that's really cool. It's actually, it's weird because I look at Tom's stats when he's reporting on them. And I'm like, I wish I had those. And then I look at ours and other people say the same thing because we, we do a really good job of breaking uh, that stuff out. So the Fraser Valley Board, our board has been really really proactive in in getting that information out and it sounds like maybe treb doesn't always have that ability to to break stuff out is that true they have the ability the so the the treb market watch which is a publicly available you know report every month is actually very very well done but if you go into other sources that we have access to as realtors it does break it down better than just the treb market watch um but but my biggest thing with it is like I'd love to go in halfway through the month. That's why I pay for a third party service to find out that data because Treb like it limits oh, you how many you okay. can look up at a it taps you at two hundred and it's like yeah yeah eh, we it's not really that helpful right. So these third party websites which pull from Treb but gives you access to it now have been you know huge resources for for our yeah. clients and to help me make videos truthfully. Yeah. The Fraser Valley Real Estate Board at one point was like the innovation in Canadian real estate. Honestly, at one point it was like web, you guys use web forms, I assume. Yeah. So web forms was made, designed, and managed from the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board office by like three guys for like fifteen years, and then just then they gave it to Crea to manage, let everybody in. And then Crea promptly gave it to a third party company, How the worst go? real estate, the worst real estate company on the planet. They buy all of their competition and then immediately suck. Uh, <laughs> they pull all the funding out. I won't name them here because um, never mind. I was going to say it, but I won't. Don't say it. Yeah. But they are they are literally terrible. So it was way better when it was. And the cool part was because they were Fraser Valley board guys when there was a problem. I actually got to go and sit with those three guys that designed the program and be like, here's the flaws. And they were like, this is awesome. I can't believe you're actually like, you're a user of the program and you're like, hey, I'll just pop by and show you the problems I'm having. It was great. And then they changed it over to that. I don't, I would love to see, Kriya, if you would love to tell me the details behind your giveaway of web forms to a third party for-profit 
organization, I would love to have you on the show. <laughs> you know, I will say though, we we're giving Korea a slight, a bit of crap here, but the fact that we do own realtor.ca oh, is, huge. is like the, the way that Canada works for our industry and the regulation of real estate does, you know, obviously it's not perfect. There's lots of little issues along the way, but the, the consumer protection in terms of how we are regulated and the fact that we own this system and it's not sold to a third party, like on the biggest platform, I think is very, very important compared to what this, what's happening in the States. Oh, way better than the States because yeah, yeah the States is now basically run by Redfin and Zillow. Did Marianne, did, mm-hmm. did, uh, did the iBuyer or the Zillow stuff, it kind of like, I heard about it in Toronto and then it just went away. Like, did you no, ever see anything from that? I didn't really see anything from it. You know, I don't, I don't know that it even sort of phased me when I heard about it at the beginning, but it all seems to have disappeared by now. Yeah. It goes back it, to being a relationship business, right? So hundred percent, all these guys are having trouble, right? Like, um, Zillow sold all their houses, uh, you know, like two Novembers ago because they realized how hard it was to maintain that many properties. Um, then you had what properly has now backed out of their business model and they're yeah. just a basic brokerage now, which means they'll, I don't know how long they'll last under that brokerage name without that differentiating factor that they had. Mm-hmm. Purple Bricks was we should, then. We talk about that actually. We haven't talked about that yet. We have not. So Purple Bricks, we never had really. We had like one listing I ever saw in Purple Bricks out here. But then they got bought by somebody who I had never heard of. They and got then they bought by went, insurance, Desjardins Insurance. Insurance, yeah. Rebranded to Fair Square. And then previously to that, they were known as Calm Free. So they've, they've rebranded a few times. The slow market, they decided to shut down their operations. They weren't taking on any new business. Um, so that's let's let's talk about that. Let's be clear about that, right? It's It's nice that consumers have a choice, right? I would say when a consumer is thinking about selling a house, at least here in Toronto, here's your three choices. You can have a company like Fairsquare that will put your property on the MLS, but they won't do anything for you. You sell your house yourself, but you're on the system, you get exposure, right? Then you have kind of the next level up of a real estate agent that is a discount commissioned agent that will not invest into your property, probably really isn't you know, on the ball on what's going on in the market. But you see it on the service level and like they're slightly cheaper than this other person. So that's an option people have. And then you have the full service model, which I know all three of us kind of go by. And that is that we will invest money into our clients' properties and we are not the cheapest option. But there is a funny thing that keeps happening that all the listings continue to go to all the people that offer the services. So Marianne, I'd like your thought on that on just like, is it nice to have all these models? Are you surprised that Fairsquare went under when the market slowed down? It doesn't surprise me at all. You know, it's, um, I was saying the other day to someone, you know, when the tide went out, we can see who's swimming in the new type of a thing, right? And that even goes to our own industry um, where the agents who aren't working and don't really know what they're doing couldn't survive in a market like this. Um, It doesn't surprise me at all. I don't know if you've ever been on the buying end of a purple bricks or a similar type of a transaction. We have, yeah. (laughs) It is the most dreadful situation you can possibly be in. Um, I, in the past, had shown many of those listings that were on MLS to buyers of mine. Um, And they have a different agent working with the same seller at every different sort of part of the transaction. There's no communication. 
we basically as a buyer have to go into it doing all of our own due diligence because you can't trust anything that's happening on the other end and any any of the representations or anything that they're making. So it's heartbreaking being on the buying end of it, seeing how a seller is being treated through a transaction and being guided when I know how we service our clients, right? And you're going like, how is someone selling their largest asset this way? It's uh, it's mystifying, but no surprise that they've gone under. The one thing I, and I had posted about this uh, on Instagram when I, when the news came out. And the one thing I kind of thought of is like, well, okay, well, why did they actually fail? Right? Like, let's get to the bottom of this because it doesn't matter if you think real estate agents are great or useless, right? The consumers decided if fair square mattered by their actions. That's what matters here, what the consumer actually did. Doesn't matter what we think, right? So the consumer decided that the value proposition, even at a flat fee model, wasn't there to a point that they didn't choose it. And then if you also look at all these companies that have come in and tried to use technology to outsource or get rid of the real estate agent, which go, keep trying. You'll, one day you might do it. Like, we'll see. Who knows? I could be totally wrong. But it seems like the one thing that they are missing is the actual really good real estate agent that's working for them. Because again, that's who the consumer is going to because their asset is expensive. The average home price in Toronto in February is going to be over $1.1 million. In the beaches, you're, for detach, you're well over $2 bucks for something reasonable, right? Yeah. So... I think the, their missing piece, and this sounds funny because it's what they've tried to take out, is like they can't attract actual professional real estate agents that care about their business to work for them because they're the ones that have all the inventory anyways. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, homeowners will continue to work with people who they know and trust and in changing markets that are changing so quickly when you are buying and selling your single largest asset, for the most part, for most people, having an expert that understands the market that you're in and how to get you through the transaction is key. And many of those models are missing that piece. And if the value is brought by a company like Uber, prove that, right? Mm -hmm. A value is brought by the company and one app like put out of business all of the cab drivers. Mm -hmm. um, and the customers went to a location and because the customers went to a location, the industry then had to adapt or change or whatever. And so far alternative brokerages, uh, other than the classic business model. And I would say the classic business model is the early eighties Remax business model. Right. Um, let's say that they, there has been nothing better yet. And it, it's proving that there is nothing there uh, that is attracting the customers. Because, Tom, you brought up an interesting point. So there is the top producing agents are going to go where they get best compensated, obviously, for their efforts. But just to, just to cut you off for a second, they, the top producing agents don't go to the cheapest brokerages either. They go to the ones where the, they're paying the biggest fees because they get service. And that's why their business is the same model. Yeah, it gives them the best, gives them the best results. So you have, so if, if for instance, if 50% of the customers decide to all go to a list it yourself model, then you're going to have a lot more agents go to the list it yourself model and help service those people. You're just going to have that transition, I would think. So it's two things. It's there's, 
there's nothing there for the industry. So you're not going to attract, attract the people that are best at the industry. And then there's nothing there for the client. The only proposition I think that these disruptors have so far has been just less fee. That's it. And then like you were saying with when a buyer comes in, well, I, I'm trusting you that the house is 3,400 square feet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So now I have to go do my own measurements. I got to do all my own due diligence. And the buyer's like, this is a real pain in the butt. I don't want to deal with all this stuff. What do you mean they don't have the right paperwork? It's already bad enough in a transaction when the agents have a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Now drop two people into the equation that have no understanding of the industry and then have a misunderstanding. It's just, yeah, I, it's just not going to be set was- up for success. Yeah, no, sorry. I was going to say, even in the height of the market, when things like we all know how fast this industry moves and how, especially when we were sort of in a much hotter market, you had to be in a house within an hour of it coming to market with paperwork ready, reviewing home inspections and ready to offer on something. To have a house on a street that that is what's happening and that seller is getting the most amount of money for their home possible probably on that night and then to have something down the street that's listed by one of these models and you go to present an offer on their property and they won't even look at it until tomorrow like the market moves faster than they're capable of moving and it just it doesn't make sense to me i don't know if they still have this but i remember years ago we were dealing with one of these companies and they're like oh we don't work on the weekend i'm like well like they welcome to real estate. It's they don't work evenings and weekends, right? And like, it's unfortunate we work weekends and evenings. That's what we do, right? That's how we work. I don't even think real estate agents start work until four thirty because when I'm on my ride home from my day, that's when my phone starts ringing. So it's when everyone else is done work. It makes sense, right? Yeah, totally. The late night phone calls and text messages. And All right, now, now that we've now that we've been canceled by the competition bureau. <laughs> Tom, do you have something else? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the Real Estate Video Course. Today's real estate industry has changed and you can no longer rely primarily on door knocking, cold calling, and geo farming. While these strategies still work, video provides something that these traditional methods just don't. And that is leads that reach out to you because of you and the message and content that you are providing. I believe that video is king and that through video, you can leverage your message, create stronger relationships and become the authority on real estate in your marketplace. The real estate video course is a five part course that will teach you the fundamentals of video, including why it's so impactful, the equipment that you need to invest in to get started and the proven tips and strategies used to ensure long term success. So go to videocourselogin.com today to become a true creator, level up your editing and production skills and develop your real estate video plan to leverage your message to current and prospective clients. That's videocourselogin.com. The link is below in the description. And don't forget to use the discount code TOMSHOW at checkout for 10% off any purchase. That's videocourselogin.com and use the checkout code TOMSHOW. That's T-O-M-S-H-O-W. Um, I actually wanted to quickly ask you, and, and and typically with guests, I don't bring up brokerages, but I respect your brokerage a lot, and I know a lot of people there. Um, yeah. So I want to quickly, Chestnut Park is, I think the parent company that owns it is also Sotheby's. Am I wrong on that, or is that? So Purage owns it, which also owns Sotheby's. Yeah. Okay. And you are kind of a 
a Toronto, no, I guess you're not Toronto specific anymore because you guys are everywhere, but you're, you started as a boutique luxury brand and then it's expanded since then. Is that kind of the model? It is. It still is a boutique luxury brand within Toronto. It's just that we have opened uh, offices in other parts of Ontario that have the same sort of luxury properties coming to market. Yeah. Uh, well, all I say is every deal I've ever done with one of your agents has been like a pleasant experience. So um, you guys have people that do business. And Eileen, friend of the show, was yeah. also on the show. She's awesome. Yeah. Eileen, like her, her last night. She's a great friend. Oh, were you? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great, great, great group of people who work there. Isn't it funny how our industry is like there are, there are in the Toronto Real Estate Board, there are 80,000 people with a real estate license, but also like last night I was having drinks with Shay, like your best friend. And it's so yeah. weird how all the people that actually do the business all know each other. They all know each other. Yeah. Like it's and such a small world. Ch- Jillian Oxley, I think yesterday I was. Yeah, talking. I saw her at the chairman's event. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked to Shay twice already today. It's a, uh, it's a small city. And Steve, you, Steve, do you have friends in uh, Surrey or no? Uh, I have. Most of my friends are now realtors. <laughs> um, no, it is it is that way though, because like the first question I still ask to this day, and like our we're not as diluted as you guys are, but I still ask to this day when some when a new listing pops up, I always ask my team like who's got it listed, right. because now I know how to react, and unfortunately now that's becoming more challenging because usually the names are not kind of the old guard. So we just went to our top 10% dinner, um, which is bigger than it's ever been, obviously, because we have more agents than ever. And I was shocked at the names that I didn't see there because that kind of, let's call it uh, boomer, if we want to call it generation of realtors is now either dying or retiring one or the other and that there's a lot less of the faces so the changing of the guard is for sure happening and that could be a little tough but yeah you see the same you know you recognize most of the same people and the people at the top like that top 10 percent dinner in my opinion should probably be the top one percent dinner now because those are still those are the people that are really doing the business if i told you how many units it took to get you in the top 10% of Fraser Valley this year, you would be. Can I give, can I guess an over under? What would it be? Like 15? Under. Okay. So that's interesting. Under 15? To get in the top 10%. So if you're the bottom 50%, you probably didn't do a deal, I would assume. Right. But we also have to acknowledge, right, that like some of this is political in the way in which some team leaders only allow deals to go under their name. So the other person doesn't count as a deal, even though they're an agent and right or no. Well, let's just make it totally clear that everybody on my team last year made the top 10% on their own without the rest of the team. Right. Right. So, and then you combine those together. So, I mean, it's, you want to have something there, but I had this discussion too with, uh, well, I probably shouldn't say that publicly, but I did have this discussion about awards uh, for, sales achievement and it was like Mm. those awards have been the same financial level since i was in the business right so the threshold is still the same on dollar volume but when i got in the business you could buy a detached home for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and now you can't buy one for under 1.2 right right so So the increase in pay is four times 
Yeah. But the war, so you may as well, like that should have been a, maybe a $25,000 award when I got into the business. Our company, because yeah. we're national, we we do it by province. So it's actually, it, it shifts depending on where you are and what the home prices are. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year we did, it changed where the, everyone was winning awards that were one level above what they usually do. And I looked into it is because we pegged them all down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. We oh. need to stop yeah. out awards in this business. We need to stop being the Academy Awards of this industry and just saying like hey look how awesome we are hey, Steve, guess what i'm going to our tonight. mortgages what are you going to an award our award ceremony our award ceremony <laughs> but you know what i'm excited to see faces that i haven't seen in a long time and it'll be a fun time and yes do i agree posting your stuff everywhere is probably not the best thing your client doesn't give two craps about what number you are at your company of course not but it is nice to see your friends in the industry, right? There is nothing more valuable, I don't think, than just being able to have those. Am I breaking up here? Because, wow, this is bad on my end. We can still hear you perfect. All right. So there's nothing more valuable than having time with the colleagues, right? Yeah. To, to have that time and and energy spent with talking to your friends in the industry and gaining knowledge and just the camaraderie that can come out of it is fantastic. Do we all have to pat ourselves on the back because we paid our mortgage last year? No, probably not. No, but I think this is a relationship industry, right? And it just as much as it's relationships with buyers and sellers, it is amongst the agents as well. And, yeah, correct. Uh, and I Tom, that you've enjoyed doing deals with our brokerage. It's, it's refreshing when you have someone on the other line who's a fantastic agent to talk to um, and who is a good person and you're trying to get a deal done together, right? So having those relationships and those people that you can pick up the phone and call time and time again, um, and specifically in different neighborhoods too, right? We've talked about referring out clients to different neighborhoods. If you're not an expert in that market, you're not doing someone a service by trying to represent them there. So, um, having those connections, I think is key to success in real estate, quite frankly. I literally yesterday, I got a call from an agent in Calgary um, and she was trying to refer me a listing in Oakville, which I do not service, right? And it would have been a $2.5 million listing that if, let's be clear, if I was in the first two years of my career, I'm hopping in my car and pretending I sell in Oakville, okay? But just for all the realtors that are listening at this point of the podcast, I referred it out because I don't know that market. in GPS, you should not be selling that property. Yeah, I like that. That's good. (laughs) Um, Okay, so there's a few things I want to kind of like the last 10 minutes here kind of talk about. And and by the way, is there anything you want to chip in? And we're we're open to discussion on anything here. But um, obviously, something that me and Steve do is we when we're when we're thinking of, you know, podcast um, titles and making videos is we look through the headlines, right? And we just see like, okay, what does the consumer sitting at home who's not actively thinking of buying or selling, what are they inundated with? Okay. Okay. So I want, so you're, I, you're I wrote some clickbait like titles here. Is this what you're trying to do? No, I just want to read actual real headlines. I took, I, I took these this morning. Okay. And this, let's just talk about like, okay, what are they trying to say? What is the consumer that is uneducated? And I mean that not in a bad way, but just mean they're not actively doing this. <laughs> Well, how are they feeling? And then let's kind of figure out, okay, well, what, what's, what's actually going on here, right? Can I, can I point out that today's headlines are Tom Story's tomorrow YouTube videos? Can I just point that out before we start here? 
Yeah, that's literally yeah, that's how I get my titles for them. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good at clickbait. They're really good at it. Yeah. Okay. So here's the first one. Steve, I'm sorry. A lot of these are Toronto based, but you know, we can switch Toronto with with your market. It'd probably be the same thing. So Toronto spring real estate forecast, a market as unpredictable as the weather because it's snowing every other day here. What do we think about that one? Marianne, you want to start? Uh, I think that's, well, it's cute. They're playing on words with the forecast, I guess. Um, it's not unpredictable. It's understanding what is going on in your market. If you're buying and selling in the same, in the same market, you're protecting your largest asset, quite frankly. So, um, I think that's pretty funny other than the fact that we have like three feet of snow outside of the window at the moment. And, uh, and sure. Do we know where things are going? Probably not. Um, there's a lot more certainty at the moment than we've seen in the past. We yeah. too, we too have snow in March. How you guys doing this here? Uh, you know, I dug out of my, the two inches in my driveway. We're okay. Yeah. Uh, they did cancel Big school the first day. Yeah. My kids go to private school. So they, because the kids get driven to school, most of the kids in private school, they like, if it like sounds like snow outside, they're like, okay, we're shutting this thing down. Can I just say something? Steve, Steve, who won't pay for anything, Steve, who won't buy a new car, Steve, who won't go on a vacation, sends his kids to private school. We finally got something out of you. It's Steve. priority one. Yeah. It's the education of his children. I commend <laughs> you for that, Steve. You know what's even worse than that? My backyard is literally an elementary school. Literally, like where they should the, be going. Where they should be going. And then I married an Irish Catholic girl. And right. Catholic school, here we come. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. Okay, here's here's a good one. Yeah. Um Toronto Mansion from Mean Girls hits the market again after a price slash. <laughs> oh God. Well, it will probably sell, right? <laughs> It's uh, the market's changed and they've dropped the price. So they'll probably end up in multiples. Yeah. And you got to put in what movie it was from. Steve, you ever seen Me Girls? Was that to, never seen you know, it? I'm assuming they're looking for a new audience with that. I have to look that up. I don't even know what house that is. If I, I'm sure it's in Bridal Path. If I was selling that house, though, as a listing agent, you got to use that, right? It's like everyone kind of knows what that movie is. There was the building I used to live in, the penthouse, was where they filmed um, Harvey Specter's. Uh, like from Suits, yeah. that was his penthouse where they filmed everything, and it's yeah. traded hands twice in the last five years, and that's like the first thing. The first in... line of the listing. Yeah, it's like live in Harvey Specter's penthouse, right? Because someone that. reading that's like, oh yeah, that's cool. They film Suits here, right? Yeah, yeah. that's actually pretty cool. That's actually <laughs> you watch that one, Steve? <laughs> yeah, we used to. We, we used, used to watch, to watch that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is one that a recent video I, I titled was the, Tr the Toronto real estate market sparks back to life. That's probably the most realistic one that we've seen that feel like maybe not just sparks, but like some areas have caught fire again. Caught fire. I actually like that headline. It has sparked back to life. Yeah. yeah. They're not, uh, they're not overselling there. Steve thoughts on that one. Agreed. I mean, that's what I would call it. The question is it's back alive. Um, it, people just have to stop conflating it with trying to compare it to what happened in 2021 and early 2022, because that is hopefully never something that we ever see again. It'll come back, but hopefully not. I mean, not not to that level of of insanity, right? Yeah. No. Um, I was thinking too, like I don't know about both of you, but you know, from about July last year to the end of the year, yeah, like we sold 
a lot of properties, not as much as we usually do. The, the sales were down, but our, our team performed really well. But it just felt quiet and things would move that were priced. But even some stuff you thought would move wouldn't move. And it, it was just like an, uh, an odd time. I got to say, like the feeling that I'm getting about the market right now, I haven't felt in about half a year. Are you guys on that same thought process? Yep. Yeah, I haven't felt this since March, probably. Yeah. yeah. We felt so. I remember having a conversation. It was actually, I remember exactly what it was. It was with uh, Kim Phillips. Shout out Kim Phillips. Um, about almost exactly a year ago, maybe a year and two weeks ago. And we were like, the market just changed. And it went from like, it, that's when it was like going straight up. And then like, it's gone. And then obviously it wasn't gone. It took five months to kind of iron out to, to kind of hit the peak. Uh, not price-wise, but just activity before it totally dropped off. And now I'm definitely not getting, oh, it's back on, but I'm definitely getting like, oh, okay, our our clients, they better move. They better move on something or they might get left behind again because if this does turn on, they're going to be, they're just going to be left in the dust. Yeah. I, Tom, I, I see your next question in our shared notes. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think too, there was a really incredible opportunity for buyers to get into the market um, over the last number of months. And I had people sort of buying in in the summer and into the beginning of the fall in oftentimes in the East End in properties that if you had a threshold of what you could to, could buy with any increase in the market, you'd be priced out of the market almost immediately. Um, mm -hmm. So I had a huge number of buyers be able to get into those markets and uh, and now those deals aren't aren't around anymore. So do we think that, now, now this is obviously it's a very hard question to answer, but we are seeing an uptick here. Uh, we believe that for the next few months it will be busy and that we will see prices that we haven't seen maybe since a while ago, at least. How do th do things go back down? Is this just a blip? Will things push down and then what, what would have to happen for things to push down? And, and I'm not talking about specifically like these micro markets where it's good inventory mm -hmm. and people are always going to want it, but I'm talking like general GTA, greater Vancouver market stats. Steve, what do you think would actually have to happen for I'm, this? I'm not reading, to be I'm reading the note. I'm reading the note, Tom, you, your next headline was, cause I did a video on this, uh, Canadian real estate prices to fall lower. Worst case is a return to 2014 pricing. So I did a video on this, got 9,500 views. Um, the This article was to me hilarious because what it will take to do that was everybody's like, of course it's going to go there. Okay, cool. First of all, that's right now uh, in my marketplace, I think I broke it down. So that's a return to like $660,000 detached houses where we are still at 1.35 to 1.4. So we have to cut like 50% from here. Um, and then it was like, we need a 9%, 9.1% drop in our GDP to do that. Right? So we need to go into massive recession in order to do that. And then they actually had a chart in, too bad we don't have our graphics up here at this time, Tom. We actually had a chart um, that showed their projections. And of course, there's like, they're reporting on the worst possible projection. And all of their other projections, even the like most probable downturn 
was like full recovery by not full recovery in price upward trend in the market by at least q3 of this year at the, at the latest and this is on a canadian the, the entire country scale of everything entire country scale yeah so that the numbers that they were all reporting on first of all those have all already happened mm-hmm. right they're like oh it's going to drop 30 percent. i'm like my market's down 30 percent. so now what but it's just this where was it? It was, it was, was it better dwelling? Where was it? Of course it was better dwelling. Was yeah, better dwelling. of course it was. <laughs> I, I covered it. What I just about guess remember. the source of the headline? Yeah. We, we we've that done once. that. Yeah. We've yeah. played that. Yeah. We play that often. <laughs> so, so I guess to wrap this up here, um, maybe let's just still focus on the market. Cause I think it is very interesting here. Like I think people listening are like, what is happening? Like if, if you're giving advice to buyers right now or sellers right now, like what are those conversations like? Yeah, I think the the multiple offers that we're seeing, I don't allow for some of my clients to see that as the market returning necessarily. They need to understand the risk. Um, you know, I know you guys have talked about this before, but the idea of selling before you buy versus buying before you sell. In Toronto in the past, you would never dream of selling your property before you had bought something because you'd lose your house and you'd be out of the market. <clears throat> um, we're now in a totally different scenario than that. Um, and I'm still cautioning people to be very, very careful about uh, going and buying something before they sell. So I think that it it is worth noting that, yes, we're seeing this return in some marketplaces, in some property types, but it's not necessarily straight across the board. Um, and I don't think that prices are going to get away from us here. I think this is going to be a bit of a sideways grind. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's always relative, right? If you're going to buy and sell, depending on the, what the market's doing, but not always, because like if you're moving up, you like a quiet market or downward trending market. If you're moving down, you want an upwards looking market yep. in terms of what you're doing. And I just, I, uh, client that we listed his condo at the beginning of January, got it sold by the end of the month and then got him into a semi with a price point under 1.2 and in a good area. Like, and I was like, wow, okay, we hit that timing. Good timing. Yeah. And now, even if we had sold the condo for 30 grand more, that exact same house, I could make an argument goes 70 to 80 grand more. Right. I was going to say hundred more. Yep. So, you know, it's like, but again, it's buying and selling in the same market, right? Right. Where where the stress of not selling by now would have been worse than the alternative. Well, you know right. what I mean? But I think that just something to keep in mind that like every single person's situation is different. different. Yeah. And as me, as Steve likes to always remind me is that people still, uh, from my understanding, like to live in places that have roofs on them. Roofs and- are super popular. Yeah. They are popular. Um, it's it's different tolerance to risk, right? It's the same as shopping a mortgage. Um, different people can tolerate risk differently and, and have different backup plans. I was going to ask you, actually, because we had discussed this on the last episode, um, not to get like into specifics of your client's finances or anything, but are people taking fix right now? Is anyone going variable? I'm finding the majority of my clients at the moment, probably like 75 to 80% of my clients are going short, um, like one, two, three or fixed rates um, to create some certainty right now and then sort of see where things are at in a few years from now. That seems to be the trend with most of my clients. Um, Is that what you're saying? 
I thought so. Well, I, that's what I'm seeing with my clients. But I ran a poll on this, and a bunch of mortgage brokers messaged me, being like, "I'm shocked it was even close." That a lot of people were still saying variable, and I had a few right. people comment saying like, "We took variable because we think rates are going to go down." I'm like, "I hope yeah. you're right." I'm like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I'm going to go on the record but... right now, Tom. If I was if I was doing anything right now, sort not in my position, yeah, um, but. If I was advising on a first-time buyer right now, I would lock in for five years right now. On a fixed? Five-year fix right now. Yeah, Personally, I 100% would because, mm-hmm. and again, this is for a, a, a first-time buyer, somebody that's on some risk sort of fixed, yeah, yeah risk, risk adverse for sure. But those people that are two or three years in the market should not be gambling because there is a very good argument that mm-hmm. yes, indeed, we do see rates go up because jobs reports are good. Uh, the problem is not going to be necessarily, I don't think, Canada's economy because it apparently sucked in the last quarter, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, which the the news also said, well, now the economy sucks, so that's bad. But no, that's what we want to have happen. I thought that was the whole point. Yeah. But the yeah, exactly. But the U.S. economy is not slowing down, and if anything, most outside of the last couple of days, like index funds are going back up in the States, mm-hmm. like the economy's cranking. So I would very much, I'm not convinced that rates will come down at all in the next two, three years. And I'm not, I don't know if they'll go up, but I'm not convinced they will come down. I don't think we will see a three, nine, nine rate again for three to five years. Right. Awesome. Which is not a bad rate. Can we say that? Like my, sure. my it's first not a bad rate. 12 years ago was at 4.99% five-year fix. And I thought it was a fantastic rate at the time. So, yeah. 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 Tom, I have one thing I want to wrap with, because I know you were about to ask me that. Okay. You know, my polls on my, yeah, on my like channel. Polls. Yeah, yeah. I like my polls. You got to start posting a poll every week on your you, main you do channel. It for us on the podcast. So I just kind of, you know, if you want to get up to the level of subscribers that I have, Tom, <laughs> you're going to need to start this... running more polls. There and this guy that. just passed me after I crushed him for like six months in a row. And now he won't even take my calls anymore. I'm booking through his assistant. It's just yeah. he's on There's another my level. Link. The ego has gone crazy. Tom has to use my calendly link now. Um <laughs> Okay. Two hundred and seventy one votes. That's not bad, right? That's wow. representative. Two hundred and seventy one yep. votes. Uh which of the following are you? Canadian citizen, permanent resident and or foreigner this is from our conversation last week what percentage of the 200 and se- let's start with the obviously lowest one of the viewers of my channel what percentage do you think are foreigners by five to ten percent yeah seven percent okay not bad now this is the controversial part how many are prs Marianne, you want to guess? 27%. Mm, Tom? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go uh, 34%. <laughs> way too high. Both of you, way <laughs> too high. Right. Okay. okay. 15%. But, okay, so that's what total? 21? Is that that, what it is? So 15. So, yeah, yeah. So then 77% are Canadian citizens. Yep. So, um, that being said, that out of 271 people, what is that? Like 41, 42 people are permanent residents. And that means likely up until, let's say within the last year or two, 
maybe some of them have bought already, but those are now new people. As remember when Ralph Ciencio said, those are new people coming to the game of musical chairs mm-hmm. and not, don't have and not bringing offer. chairs. They're just bring, they're bringing demand. They're just buying in. Yeah, They're just looking for a chair and they're not bringing any chairs to the game. And that uh, is, I think, going to be our uh, story in the coming years. Years, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Interesting. That was a fun episode. Thank you so much for coming on and joining. We appreciate you being here. Thank Um, you so much. For anybody that wants to connect with you after listening to the podcast, what's the best place for them to go? Uh, Probably Instagram. It's at Marianne Miles Broker, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E-M-I-L-E-S Broker. Um, Instagram is, is sort of how people can see what I'm all about and, uh, and see how I work with my clients and that type of a thing, um, or just hopping on my website. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm hopeful that we can see each other in person in the new hood, in my new hood, your old hood. And, uh, Yeah. Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you everybody for listening. We will see you next Sunday. If you haven't already, make sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Steve's nodding his head because I finally remember And leave a review for darn sake. Podcasts. Leave a review. And we are very close. I'd say by next episode, we will actually have an email that's specific to the show. I'm not giving Steve access because he'll just email everyone back. (laughs) I'm the only one with access. And you can send us questions and I think we'll we'll introduce like a mailbag. That's a good one. Sections and, and a new feature, Tom. I don't know if anybody's watching this. If it's there, but a new feature on Spotify is questions and polls on Spotify as well. Oh. So I don't use Spotify, but apparently, if you look down below uh, this episode on Spotify, there will be a poll or a question for okay. you to take. I should have said that at the beginning of the All damn right. episode. I am a moron. <laughs> we we learn new things. Thank you everyone for being here. Have an amazing week and we will see you next Sunday. Bye. Bye.